0: I woke up on Saturday morning, I looked at the Google Analytics and saw something like 500 or 600 simultaneous visitors to our website.
1: Most employees would rather have the boss who at least tells them where they stand than the one who doesn't. You're
0: listening to The Growth Show, a podcast that uncovers interesting stories and advice on growth from every corner of the business world.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Growth Show. I'm Megan, VP of Marketing at HubSpot, and your host for today. This episode, we're excited to be joined by Mike Wilner, co-founder of a company called Compass. Unlike many tech startup founders, Mike doesn't have a background in tech. And when he first started to build Compass, the company didn't even have a technical co-founder. In spite of all that, the company is now generating six figures in sales. Today, we're going to hear from Mike about the lessons he's learned while following an atypical growth strategy. So you first caught a lot of people's attention with a post that you published on Medium on why you don't really need a technical founder to start a business. Um, I think the um, the analogy you gave was that uh, you know Bill Gates got to, to opt out of his math classes at an early age so that he could code, and Mark Zuckerberg had programming tutor at age eleven, and you first learned HTML or you first learned what HTML stood for after you graduated from college. Uh, so, tell me a little bit about that. Why did you think you needed a technical founder beforehand? Why did that opinion change?
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, when I was in college, so much of the tech startup world was glorified and I definitely looked at it as something I aspired to, right? So as a senior in college, I, I saw TechCrunch articles about Jack Dorsey and just all the all these crazy stories about Foursquare um, and it seemed really interesting. and um, As I started thinking about ideas, I jumped to tech uh, as potential ideas for businesses that I wanted to start. Um, And, you know, I had no technical background at that time, so I continued to go along that path, but it was just this huge elephant in the room that I didn't know how to code. Um, And actually, my senior year of college, I tried to start a startup, and I basically uh, did everything the wrong way, wrote a business plan didn't get any users or anything, basically just just spent a couple of months writing a business plan um, and then looked for a technical co-founder. Right. And it, it was just a terrible experience and just absolutely not the way you're supposed to do things in uh, at that time, 2013. Um, but yeah, so I, I think when I went on this path for tech startups, um, there was then this thing, well, okay, I had this experience where I did it wrong. I must need to get technical skills or I'm going to need to find someone that can build something for me. Uh, and I think it kind of marginalizes people that don't have those skills but may have other skills that they can utilize. Um, because, for example, sales is really, really hard. It's very different from you know, building a product, but right. it's, it's a really hard thing to do. Um, and I think that a lot of non-technical founders or aspiring non-technical founders think that uh, they're marginalized because they can't build something. But in actuality, they, they, may, act, they may have an advantage in that they're going to be forced to go and sell or to get customer feedback or do things like that. Um, and that's kind of just what I've learned through the process. I, I, it's not like I had an aha moment where I, I just saw the future and that that, that would be true. Um, but it was just by necessity coming up with ideas and having no other options other than to just sell it because I couldn't, literally could not build it even if I wanted to um, kind of forced my hand into that position.
1: Nice. And so let's fast forward a little bit to sure. today and the company that you have built, which is Compass. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, give me the 30-second pitch for Compass and what you sure. guys are trying to solve?
0: Yeah, yeah. So Compass is basically a web design marketplace. Uh, Unlike most marketplaces, though, we go way beyond just matching people who need websites with people that can build websites for them. So we handle all of the project management that's involved, so make it really, really easy for customers to work with web designers and vice versa. So by making it that much more efficient, we're actually able to produce professionally designed websites for under $1,000. So it's really solving the problem of a lot of small businesses, startups, solopreneurs, who don't really have a ton of time to uh, build their own site or don't have the expertise to build their own site, also don't have the money to hire an agency for a few thousand dollars, Right. Um, we're providing an in-between option so that you can have the benefits of hiring another human to do it for you but without a lot of the pains that come with that.
1: So that problem that you're trying to solve, how did you land on it? Where did it come from? How did you decide to build a company that targets it?
0: Yeah, so... You know, both my parents are business owners, um, and, and I'd see them struggle with this problem for years, but it actually came uh, you know about a year and a half ago, a little more. Um, I was back at my sister's grad school graduation, and my parents actually sat me down and like asked for thirty minutes of my time to talk about their online presence. And they'd always asked me informally, but uh, it was kind of <laughs> weird for them to ask for my time. And basically, both my parents were looking to get websites and uh, expose their businesses online. My dad got a couple of quotes from local designers that were in like, thousands of dollars.
1: Right. Like,
0: Dad, you don't need to pay for all of that. I, I basically told him, um, hey, I'm, I've used this tool called Squarespace before. Let me just build something for you. Um, so I did that, and I uh, realized that you know, there are a lot of people like my father uh, in that position where they have a business and they're trying to you know, bring it online but don't necessarily have the skills to do that. And then I knew dozens and dozens of people that were really skilled at using tools like Squarespace and WordPress. And the basic idea was what happens when we connect these two parties. Yeah. Um, so that's where it started. You know, like a lot of problems, um, you, they look like a problem, but you're actually looking at symptoms. And as we dug deeper and deeper, we found that there are much more systemic problems, like the way that uh, people will communicate with web designers and the way that, uh, content is collected before a website project. So we're trying to solve a lot of these finer problems that result in, in the problem you see now, which is why you know, 90% of small business websites aren't mobile friendly and 52% of small businesses still don't have a website.
1: So that's really interesting, the idea of separating out the symptoms from the really core problems. How do you know the difference? Uh,
0: I don't think you do at first. Honestly, I think (laughs) when you're starting out, everything, especially early on, everything looks like the problem. Um, But you know, if the problem was that obvious, then people probably would have solved it by then. Right. Um, So for us, it was, oh, uh, people don't know how to find web designers. Um, But that wasn't the case, right? That's what we saw the problem as first. um, But it just wasn't the case. The, The real problem is that. Know, people don't know how to communicate with web designers or people don't know how to vet web designers. And the the more the further we get with this, the deeper the problems that we're finding. Um, and, and I think that's when you actually build something meaningful is when you, you find the really detailed problems that only someone that's digging really deep can find. Um, and then by solving those things, you end up uh, kind of clearing up all those symptoms <laughs> at the top. Um, but I don't think it's something that, you can look at and instantly know, uh, if it's a symptom or the problem, you just have to start trying to solve whatever problem you identify. And then you may learn that it actually was a symptom and you find deeper and deeper problems that are causing it.
1: Now, did you figure that out before you got your first paying customer or was that something that you learned through talking with your first customer and your second customer and so forth?
0: Uh, yeah, it definitely didn't come with just the first customer. I think, um, it came from doing 10 or so projects and then kind of you know, asking not just the customer but also the designer um, what problems they were experiencing. Uh, it also came not just from asking but just observing. Uh, one benefit of being a marketplace is that we're brokering all of these things. Um, and because we're a little more hands-on than a traditional marketplace where we just connect people and then let them work it out, um, we're there throughout the entire life cycle of a project. Sure. So we can see when things are not working correctly, and we can identify when problems are popping up. Um, so, you know, we're able to, you know, in our office, if something is not working perfectly we can just say, hey, you know, something at this stage of the project is flaring up. What's going on here? And we can dig deeper into what that problem is and figure out what's actually going on. So um, I'd say it comes from not just asking but also observing because a lot of our customers don't necessarily understand the true problems that we're solving because our value to them is we're giving them a great website. Um, So to them, we're solving that problem. But the way that we're solving it uh, is a lot deeper. And so we kind of have to combine customer feedback with things that we're observing and hypotheses that we've kind of identified and, and figuring out if they're true and, and, what, and kind of seeing what, how things uh, do when we start to add more volume. If things start to crack, what starts to crack, why it starts to crack.
1: Right. How do you structure a team around that? I mean, how do you create a team that is agile enough to be able to recognize those things and act on them?
0: Yeah, you know, know, we're we're a pretty small team. It's just a a team of four right now. So, um, you know, we have basically a a Trello board where we identify problems. Like if something comes up in the process, it can be really distracting, especially when you're managing, you know, 60 or 70 concurrent web design projects. To you know, call a meeting every time something happens, Uh, that isn't ideal. So we have like a Trello board where we'll identify problems and then. Every week we'll kind of look at it, see which ones we can merge, see if any any of the problems are actually symptoms of a bigger problem that we've already identified, so we don't need to worry about it that much um, but you know having one person, our project manager Colleen, that can really be you know on the front lines dealing with all this stuff, and we'll kind of pull her out of the weeds every once in a while and, and kind of ask her how things are going, see what she's struggling with because that's where we p- find really great product insights. Right. Right? If she's doing one thing over and over and over and it's not something that uh, requires a super high level of skill, um, that's a good insight and something that we need to uh, get her out of the weeds so that she can communicate to us and, and figure out how we can solve her problems.
1: And eventually you were able to add a technical founder to the team. Yeah. Um, how were you able to find him? How did you convince him to join you? Describe that conversation to me.
0: Yeah, so he, you know, he was a friend of ours for a while. We're, we're all in this program called Venture for America. Um, and so uh, we knew him for a while, for like two or three years. Um, we actually pitched, Taylor and I, had pitched a previous startup idea to him um, like a few weeks before we started Compass, actually. Uh, it was something we'd been working on. And we had no users, no traction, <laughs> but we had some proof of concept or just a loose idea uh, and he basically said, thanks, but no thanks. Right. Um, so we knew him from that. And then we were in this incubator together, again, a Venture for America incubator in Philadelphia. He was actually working on a different project. Taylor and I were working on Compass. Um, so he got to see things kind of up close and, and saw us work. And uh, he decided to uh, press pause on his project and look for some other opportunities. And when he did that, we said, well, we, we're going to pitch you again, <laughs> see, see how we do this time. Um, and, and, this time we had 40 customers and we had proof of concept and we had a business model that was working. Um, so we had a, a, a much, uh, a much more viable thing to pitch, Matt. Um, and it actually happened over the course of a couple of weeks. It, it took a while for him to fully understand the opportunity that we were going after. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, compass is something that a lot of people think has already been solved with tools like Wix and Squarespace, or they think you know freelance networks like Upwork have solved the problem, and it takes uh, a lot of explaining to kind of get someone to see the full landscape um, and so it actually took two weeks of like walking with him and talking and, and having him ask questions about the market and the industry and, and diving a lot deeper. Um, and it, it started to really click with him, and one of the things you know when we talked to him about joining. Um, one thing that we did, which I, I mentioned in the previous blog post that not many people saw, uh, you know, Matt, we started talking about equity and, you know, he came out and said, you know, I, I would expect something like, you know, 20% or something like that. Um, and he was going to be our third co-founder. And we basically came back to him and said, no, we actually want you to have a third of this. Yeah. Um, and that was something that uh, I think is... It was an important lesson. I think that definitely contributed to him wanting to join. Yeah, that's a uh, big we, choice. Yeah, we we realized that, you know, while we had done some good stuff in validating a market, uh, it was a drop in the bucket compared to what we wanted to build. And ultimately, if we built the successful company that we believe we can, then getting the first 40 customers is going to be nothing compared to what he will have contributed over the course of you know compass's life yeah so we said thanks matt for uh wanting to take less but we want you to have more uh we want you to be an equal partner in this um and i think that that actually did make him uncomfortable at first yeah. but uh then he started to realize that he could really be a part of what we were building just as much as we had been a part of what we would built thus far
1: yeah so it worked for you because it had to work for you right so you didn't yeah. have a technical co-founder you couldn't quite find somebody off the bat and you made it work looking at looking back at it and you're advising other companies is that actually the right way to go about it, it, it you know figuring out the problem and the product market fit first and then bringing in a, a technical founder on or would you advise people find the founder first
0: yeah i think it it really depends it comes down to whatever you need to do to kind of make progress. So there are a lot of types of startups that definitely need someone technical to get started. Yeah. Um, for us, you know, we were building a pretty hands-on marketplace, and and the the MVP of what we were doing was simply connecting web designers to people that needed websites, and that was something that non-technical people could do. Yeah. Um, but I think there are definitely some types of startup ideas where you, you kind of need someone technical from the jump. Uh, and it, in that case, if you're not a technical founder, that doesn't mean that you're you know, out of luck. You, you, there are things you can do other than building an MVP that can add value to the business. So when I talk to some other non-technical founders that are looking to make progress and figure out how they can attract a technical founder, um, you know, you can build a network of partners or you know, do a bunch of business development or get a bunch of press connections and start a blog that gets a lot of attention, that's value to a business. And all of sure, those yeah. things will show someone technical that, hey, when you show up here, we're going to have access to a lot of people. So whatever you build is going to touch a lot of, of people. Um, and I think that's what a lot of engineers want. They don't want to build something. That just sits there on the shelf and never gets used. Uh, so uh, there are a lot of things you can do, whether it's building a, a list of beta users to starting a blog that gets a lot of traffic to uh, building a network of you know, w- whatever it needs to be. Um, there are a lot of things you can do to add value to the business. Uh, and I think that's the key. You don't need product market fit. Um, you, you don't need all of those things, but sure. you need some value. Otherwise, you know, it's like asking someone to come and do all the work. Um, like, hey, I have an idea. Do you want to come build this for me? Um, you're basic, like, at that point, they should say, okay, so what am I going to have, 90%? Right. In this? Um, so I think the important thing for non-technical founders is however you can, build value to the business. Yeah, that, that could be product market fit in some capacity, it, it could, but it could also have a lot of different forms.
1: Yeah, you because know, I do think that's a blocker. That's like a lot of entrepreneurs sort of start off and they get completely thwarted by this idea that they can't move forward without somebody to actually build their idea. Um, right. And so I think your ideas of starting a blog, starting to develop demand, starting to develop a sales pitch and talk to per- prospective customers... Um, is all well founded all right well thank you so much it was great to have you on the show um, and we're so excited to see what compass does and what you continue to do with your team
0: yeah absolutely thanks so much for having me thanks for listening to our show as always we would love to hear your feedback tell us what you think by leaving a review on itunes